0: Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays. Happy everything to you as we have our final show of the decade, gentlemen. Jeff Sharon, what? Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. That's right. This is this this we're recording this on Thursday, December twenty-sixth, and this is our final show of the twenty tens. It's been quite a decade for the show, hasn't it, boys?
1: Well, how, wait. Wait, the show has only been around for half the decade.
0: Though. Exactly. Well, it's it, this is the fi- still the final show like of the decade. It's been
1: on for a decade, hasn't it? <laughs> I know. So,
0: well, those I'm glad, glad listen, you said it.
1: <laughs> for, the, for those with who listen, to see
2: monologues on these shows, right, Martin? Yeah. My.
1: The, yeah. For those who listen to the show, sometimes the weekly show can feel like a decade passing, but.
0: Oh, oh, oh the, the, the friendly fire. Uh, we are Black and Gold Banneret, uh, SB Nation's home for UCF sports. You can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. Lots to talk about today. Obviously, we're going to wrap UCF's bowl win over Marshall Speaking in of a Tampa. Big night long. Yeah, <laughs> that's that was that one was right on cue. I'll give you that one, Eric. Uh, we will recap that. We'll look at, uh, we'll do a little preview work on basketball as We head into conference play for both women, women's and men's, um, and we'll just look back at the calendar year that has been so far, um, and uh, and give our final thoughts on uh, what uh, on 2019 and what to look forward to as we head into 2020. By the way i've been a little inactive uh i've actually been if i if i sound like crap to you it's because i feel like crap i have the flu um and i've been uh actually on medication the last three days i'm heading into day four tomorrow so i can't wait for that um it's been a uh but uh, it's been a sick word over here i want a total do-over on my christmas week because like i got sick connor got sick uh, Steph got sick. The only one who didn't get—I mean, the dog was was moping around. Um, the only one who didn't get sick was Eliza, and so of course, you know, naturally, when everyone else is, is sick, the toddler is the one who's running around with full energy. So
2: hey, hey, hey! hey. This it's this time of year. You know, we go. I mean, I'm, we're all be, we're all dealing with it, right? Merlin, we're all playing hurt. Some hell We're
0: dope. all playing I'm, hurt. We're all
2: playing hurt here. We're all playing bingo. Yep.
0: And we're still doing this, but, you know, it, it, it might sound a little disgusting on my end from time to time, so I apologize for that in advance. Anyway, let us begin, gentlemen. Um, it, football season is officially in the books. UCF gets the 48-25 win over the Marshall Thundering Herd in the um, in the Gasparilla Bowl. UCF is now 2-2 two and two all-time in that bowl. The Knights finish the season at 10-3 third consecutive year with double digit victories UCF jumped out to a 21 nothing first quarter lead thanks to the defense um Richie Grant with a, with a uh, with a pick six uh Greg McCray with a touchdown run that came off of a turnover Tremont Morris Brash with a fu- with a long fumble recovery and it was off and running and never really was close. After that, it was a bit of a there was a wild third quarter there where uh, both teams scored. I think five consecutive touchdowns on five consecutive possessions turned um, into the Pro Bowl. It, yeah, it kind of got, it, kinda got it, 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 it. Like you said on Twitter, Murph, this game the game lost its mind there a little bit in the third quarter, and then uh, and, and then afterwards. It, it, the, the rain and everything it just it kind of felt like everyone kind of shook out of it and the fourth quarter was well the fourth quarter 48-25 the final uh, some key stats Dylan Gabriel actually let me pull up the box here because this will give the more accurate stuff Dylan Gabriel um, was yeah, okay he was uh, 14-24 for 260 two touchdowns he was sacked once no picks so that's good Daryl Mack was 3-7 also um, the track was really wet. It was raining for much of the game, so you know can't really, you know, blame that on him really too much. Greg McCray, eighty yards uh, to to uh, in the running game. Net uh, actually, we had let's see. I'm looking at five nights with at least forty yards rushing, which is pretty outstanding when yeah. you think about it. Um, Marlon Williams actually led UCF in receiving with seven catches for one thirty two. And here's the thing I, I wanted to ask you too, Murph. Um, I don't view bowl games as postseason games. I kind of view them as pre, especially these games, you know, between, you know, non, with nothing really on the line. These are pre preseason games where we get mm-hmm. previews of, okay, what are the guys coming back next year going to look like? Um, mm-hmm. the, uh, and I think we got a little bit of that. We got some Greg McRae, we got some Benno Thompson. Uh, we got some. We got some more Otis Anderson. We'll talk about that in just a second. Some breaking news on that front. We we, we saw Marlon Williams. Um, big game. Big game for Marlon. I was looking for him to do that. I, I, so I think that this over. I mean, I, you know, obviously the, the two objectives are number one, get the win. Number two, get help, health, stay healthy, right? But I think you got to be pretty. You got to be pretty happy with not just the performance, but hey. I think we're going to be all right heading into next year because even with all those guys out with, with um, Adrian Killen's not playing with, uh, with Gabe Davis, not playing um, Mm -hmm. everything turned out, everything's turning out just fine. Right.
1: Yeah, it it really was. And um, you know, it's, it's even more difficult to gauge the offense in this game when they're basically handed a two score lead solely because of their, their defense. Yeah. I mean, right off the bat almost. So it, that does change some things, but you look at how they performed. I mean, they saw they had a big, they had really a career best game out of Marlon Williams, which is going to, it's, which is a, a, hopefully a big precursor for 2020 ahead for him um, because they do need him to, to be that guy. I mean, they, he had that, that big long uh, catch and run off a zero yard screen pass. Uh, right. travels you know, lateral to the line of scrimmage. And then he outran guys, you know, for 75 yards. That's something that he has. I mean, we've seen him get caught from behind before. So to see him outrun guys like that was it was, was encouraging. Um, but, you know, with, with, with Trey Nixon and Jacob Harris getting a sixth year and also the guys who, who didn't show up on the stat sheet, Kavana Ahmad, who I'm still high on, Jalen Robinson, the transfer from Oklahoma, should be, will be eligible next year. They Again, it's a, it's, a, it's a receiving core that should be deep. And similarly, it's a running back game that should be deep. We saw Trillian Coles uh, get into the game late, and he broke up a 38-yard run late down to the goal line. Um, and then you've got Gray McRae, Benno Thompson who I think has been a breakout star this year and we know now that Otis Anderson is coming back.
0: That's right. That's uh, breaking news as of just an, about an hour ago actually from when yeah. we recorded this, right?
2: Thursday I night talk- as we recorded
0: this. Right.
1: Right. So he um so yeah, he broke this uh, about an hour ago uh a Thursday night. You know, I talked to Otis uh in Tampa, asked him if he thought he had a decision a decision to make on his future and he said, you know, he admitted that he did. And, he would talk it over with his parents and sure enough he talked it over and his decision is he's coming back to UCF for his senior season. Um you know I'm not here to discuss the merits of whether that's a good decision or not. My my whole thing on that is if it's the decision Otis wants, that's the best decision. That's the only thing that matters. Is not my opinion on it. It's the decision it's it's about if the player is happy with that choice. And if mm-hmm. he is, then more power to him. Oh. Hindsight's uh, always going
0: to be 2020 20 on that, you know. I mean, what can you say? Right.
1: But for UCF, you potentially have, even with Killins has gone, a three-man backfield of Anderson McCray, Benno Thompson, and then you could work in Trilling, Coles or Demarius Good, uh, you know, assuming both those guys stay. Um, I mean, again, this offense, and, I, and this is one of things, this is one of the things I'll do quickly during the week ahead, is just sort of quickly give you a framework of what this team looks like next year, and I think just going through it, like this team looks really good on both sides of the ball next year, assuming the roster stays as is. Oh boy, oh boy, the kiss of death—I can feel it coming right now, Eric.
2: Undefeated.
0: Oh, oh boy, like Eric, say, Eric, say something nice about this bowl game, please.
2: Uh, it, 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 it finished. Um, <laughs> eventually. Over. <laughs> it went so
0: long. It went so long that. ESPN it's actually it's moved it to ESPN moved the conclusion of the game back to ESPN2 right, probably, yeah. to start the yeah. Monday Night Football pregame show which by the way they're contractually obligated to start. But I mean the game started at 2:30 and it went past 6:30. It was a 4 plus hour game in yep. regulation. The
1: third quarter the, the third quarter <laughs> went an hour and so did the first in that well yeah it was uh, that was long too because all the touchdowns but also what hurt this game—not hurt it, but just the pace of the game—was the fact that everyone who was on the field basically picked up a personal foul. <laughs> and so they you get, the you get a personal foul.
0: You get a personal
1: foul. That led to Where, a lot does of. A, does that mean,
2: that does that mean, Murph, that that Rob Manfred should come in and like put a minimum? I'm like, hey, only, only a three, uh, three personal fouls limit here, and then we take you out or something. I mean, well, no, we happen? have
1: that. If you get two, you're gone. Well, no, team he was war. talking team-wise. Oh, team oh wise. Okay,
2: okay. Yeah, it's a team. Like, get out of here. Oh, uh, cool. an hour? It was, By
1: the way, it wow, was that's crazy. Rough. I mean, they were, it was really rough. Uh, the, the reviews were hella long. We were getting kind of loopy in the press box. You know what this film was? Oh, what this film, Sorry. You know what this movie? Oh my it was, God! It was quite.
0: That says it all right that, there. <laughs> it was it was that, quite epic. Let me tell you. The <laughs>
1: Irishman
2: wasn't that, that long. Was
1: you know, listen, the Irishman was was shorter than this game. You can watch the Irishman in the span of time that this game took to play. But what this what this football game reminded me of, and it is a movie. It kind of reminded me of like those like uh, those Transformers films from like the two thousands, where. <laughs> There's a lot going on, and I feel like because there's action and things happening, I'm being entertained. But I'm not exactly sure what's going on or how I ma- what to make of it. Just a like, lot of special varied,
0: effects like, and explosions, and not a lot of plot.
1: Yeah, like it's not. There's like nothing. There's like nothing made sense. Nothing made sense to this game. It was it was a roller coaster. It was literally a Busch Gardens <laughs> roller coaster. Oh, oh wow! Look at that. It does. It came out. It came out of the shoot. Guns a blazing, sends you right into, like, two loops into a corkscrew spin, and then you you wanted to catch your breath, so it, like, settles you down, sends you maybe underground with some scene setting, and tries to tell a story, and you're getting kind of bored, where there's, like, six possessions of, like, punts or turnovers on downs. And then it says, then, screw
0: the story, let's go for a ride.
1: <laughs> and then we're back at it with three consecutive plays that end up as touchdowns. I mean, and, and then people were fighting and punching each other, and... And cats lying with dogs, mass hysteria. But so, the end result was so that, a win. That
2: ex- so you said Loopy. Does that explain the questionable – hell, I'm being kind – questionable selection of Dylan Gabriel being the uh, bowl game MVP? Like why was he voted – who voted for this?
0: I think, I think oh, everyone my. just kind of threw their hands up and was like, <laughs> you know what? Media. I don't know.
1: The media did not vote for that. Um, look, it's, the it's media did game. not vote for that. Who voted for the MVP? Oh, well, uh, that, I feel better now. That's I mean, if if, if the media if the media did, I was not handed a slip, nor anyone where I'm was handed a slip. So, uh, I, it's it's one of those things that I I don't care about. It's one of the things that uh, you you won't remember anyway, and doesn't have any impact on the future going forward. Uh, but it was like awkward. Like you know, Dylan was fine, but he's not the reason why they won this game. Antoine he Collier. Antoine Collier uh, was great.
2: Pass, yeah. By the time he threw a meaningful pass, it was twenty-one right. nothing.
1: Right. I mean, Antoine Antoine Collier was was Johnny on the spot three different times. Yeah, yeah. He thought the, he was great. Two thought, fumble recoveries and a Grant. pick. Yeah. Richie yeah. Grant,
2: seven solo tackles, had the the pick six, forced that fumble on the long run by the Marshall player early in that first quarter. Yeah. I thought he was certainly uh, should have been a, a stronger case. I mean, I thought he was the best player on the field in the first quarter.
0: Well, what about, don't forget Nate Evans. He had uh, 12 12 total tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss, a pass broken up, and three quarterback hurries and two carries at the end of the game, too. That was fun. And he thought
1: he should have had a touchdown. He should have had a touchdown. He should have had a touchdown on both of them. I I didn't I, I was still making my way down to the field when that happened. So yeah, I'm, I I
2: was uh I was at Amway Center uh, the game had flipped. All
1: time. right. So 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 when you when you see, let me just recap for. I don't
0: know if you watched the game on TV afterwards. Pro- I w- I don't believe you, many you did. did.
2: Not many did.
0: Not many it's did not sure. many did at all. <laughs> I um that we'll go we'll cover that. Right. So uh <laughs> so so Evans gets the ball at the it's first and 10 in the UCF 39 and they throw him in there and he runs and he runs uh, in a you know basic shotgun draw for 9 yards but the the red sea like parts in front of him there's no one there and he gets tripped up by his toenails by the by a defensive line that line and that he ran past and over if he gets past that guy he scores a touchdown all right um Sometime later, Trillian Cole's got a thirty-eight yard yard rush down to the Marshall two, and then they decide, all right, we're going to give Nate one more one more go here. And uh, again, shotgun draw, he gets tripped up about an inch shy of the going. He tried to stretch the ball over, and he was down. But uh, but that was that was the and then that was the last play of the game. Um, and uh, yeah. you know, which you know, kind of, it would have been cool to see Nate score a touchdown. You know, but I but I think it, and they could have. Run one more play, maybe two more, but I think Josh Heupel made the right call, being like, "All right, we've given you the ball twice we were here. We're
2: Covering the spread already. We we're not,
0: yeah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do this to Marshall. <laughs> it's not the right thing to do." <coughs>
1: Excuse me. The horse, the horse was already in the barn, and by by that I mean the they had already hit the over and the spread. Let's go yeah, home. I know. That's
2: so, correct.
0: So anyway, That's well, cool. well, let me ask you this though. All right, so so UCF gets the bowl win over Marshall. Nice finish, ten and three. Finished second in the division. Um, Eric, I want to start with you. Was this season a success? Uh,
2: I think it was. What's your definition of success? I think it's that's where it's. it's I think I think that's. Right? I think
0: I'm kind of asking you that question too.
2: Well, I think it depends. I mean, no, because I, I mean there are there are people in our audience that don't believe this was a success because they didn't win their division they didn't play for the conference title they didn't play in new year's six
0: or so they started that. following the team in 2017 but that's beside the point
2: or the fact <laughs> is that no one was excited about playing marshall so that uh, kind of is like okay whatever plus i mean you were the preseason favorites in the league prior to the season starting uh so some would say no now I think you could be – I think where people get in trouble here is to try to make one one thing doesn't necessarily equate to the other. Like, if you're disappointed by the season, that does not mean it was a bad season. It was a good season. Uh, but you could also still be disappointed if it was a good season. I mean, they did not win their division. They did not win their conference. I think if you ask the players and coaches internally in there, they're not satisfied with this season. Or you know, So I don't think there's wrong to be disappointed. Um, I think it's a good season. I Success – you know, in my opinion, I think just, you win a conference. Now that's a harsh. I don't think we, Yeah. I, I don't think I, successful is a strong word, but I think it's a good season. I think it's a good season. I think the positives are you get ten wins. You could, you 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 now continue. You hope to build on that, uh, moving forward. I think this was a transitional season. I think this was a season now where you could close the door okay. on 2017 and 18 because I think some of the fans' problem, and you, you joked about it. But there are a lot of people that jumped in at 2017, and they, they didn't know what – you know, if they lose a game, it's a complete disaster, whatever. In a way, UCF now knows what it's like to be a big-time program because yeah. Alabama, who's going to be playing in Orlando, they went 10-2. and They were eight points away from being undefeated, and they probably – if you asked an Alabama fan, it's a disastrous season, right? Because they didn't play – they're not in the playoff. And that's probably the case for a lot of programs. Um, so I think – I think – I hope what I think, if I were the fans, majority, because otherwise you're just going to be miserable, is close the door on 2017 and 18. I think that chapter is over. Where you go undefeated back to back regular seasons, not to say that you can't go undefeated in the future, but stop. Don't compare it to those teams because if you do, you're going to fail in that comparison. I feel like that's what's happened this year. The reason why a lot of people don't feel it's a successful year, where I think prior to 2017, I think people would have been, yeah, yeah, it's a great year. You know, it's great. We got a new quarterback, 10 wins, a lot to look forward to. People compared it to 17 and 18 and just assume you can just continue to do what you did in 17 and 18, and you can't. You can't do that. That doesn't work in this sport. I think this is a transitional season. I think it, you're moving on from McKenzie Milton to Dylan Gabriel. That's the biggest takeaway from this year. Forget the wins, losses. The biggest takeaway is you've got a quarterback, For the next two to three years that you can win football games with moving forward. That's the biggest plus of the year to me. Everything else uh, is what it is. So that part is a huge success because easily you may have gone into this uh, at the end of this year and said, I don't have a quarterback still like many other programs do. So I think that's the big success. The most successful part is you have a quarterback. You can win games. But I do think fans need to let that stuff go. Stop with the comparisons to seventeen and eighteen. Stop complaining about rankings, and just take a deep breath and let's see what happens in twenty twenty and judge twenty twenty on twenty twenty alone. But it's not going to happen.
0: I feel like it. I feel like it. Calling the season a failure is just way overly harsh. I mean that that's that's not fair to. Sure,
2: because
0: you know, then because then you're saying that you know so. Anything less than 10 wins is it, – it, like, what do you do? If it's a failure, what do you do? Do you fire the coaching staff? Of course not. No, oh, um, no, but I no, – I, I don't, I don't I think that's – I think that's way too harsh. I want to hear, Murph, what you think about this, though.
1: Well, <laughs> like Eric, I'm not going to address your your success, yay or nay, because that's – You're not going to take my bait, huh? Okay, I got it. No, this is not a good premise. It's so – I I think we can agree that the season did not meet expectations. And I think we can agree on that because we all had expectations for this team. We laid them out in the preseason. We all thought they were going to go to the Cotton Bowl, right? Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that the league did too. I'm pretty sure the players did as well. So it's a season of unmet expectations. However, I agree in the sentiment that it's nowhere near a failure. And if you are disappointed at the end of this and and, and let down – by 10 and 3 but but not how you got here by just the end result don't don't worry about the fact that you lost three games by seven points not how you got here just the end result if you don't feel in any bit encouraged by that is saying like well that's our floor and if you if you can't find any positives over going 10 and 3 then you are then you you are seriously seriously misguided as as a college football fan because you're right. not going Perfect.
2: Well, then, I think not? you just described every college football fan. Yeah, that's fair. Jim Harbaugh is averaging nearly ten wins a game at Michigan, and everybody's crushing him because he doesn't beat Ohio State. Oh, they haven't played. What has he done? You know. So, unfortunately, I think that's the landscape that it is today. But I do difference, think it's the, 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 yeah, difference go
1: ahead. That, the difference. There is that Michigan has never beaten Ohio State. UCF has right, been right. To the UCF has been to the mountaintop twice in the last three years. Uh, which is the mountaintop for them is the near six. Don't get me on the playoffs. Stop it. So, th- so is it that they at least accomplished that. If you think that all of a sudden, because they backslide and don't make it for a year that you, you should be severely disappointed or it was a failure or whatever else. Like, no, I, I think you need some perspective here. And I'm glad that Josh said it after the game on Monday, <laughs> Josh said outright, you know, you're not going to reach your, you're not going to reach every one of your goals every season. And that's true. You're not like you're just not gonna go like 12 and one or 13 and 0 every year. And if your right. bad seasons, quote unquote bad seasons, are 10 and three, can we I'll, please have some I'll perspective
0: take, on? That? I'll take a bad well, 10 no, and three season anytime.
2: Right, right, right. Now, I, and now, let me defend <laughs> the fans here to some extent. I think, I think you're addressing more Murph the extreme fan base, right? You're extremely. I feel like you're addressing the ones that are tweeting at you, like, man, this guy's gotta go. He's got, he's terrible. You
1: know? <laughs> I feel all like I you're see. Address-
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I really no
0: one, ever, no one, no one ever tweets out us saying, "Man, Heipel's doing a great job. He's so amazing." I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, well, let but, alone any but, coach, right? right? I mean, so
2: I, I agree. I, I think there's that extreme that you're addressing. I think you can be disappointed because you didn't win the conference because that's what the bar. This program, it's credit to this program and the success. I mean, they've been. Playing in March, they won a bunch of conference championships, going back to conference USA in the American. They won New Year's Six bowl games. So the fact that the standard, the, the expectations are that high, I think it's a compliment to the program. So I don't, I understand if fans are disappointed because they're playing in Tampa and Gasparilla on a Monday against Marshall in a who cares game. Um, so, but I, I agree with you. You could still feel disappointed and yet not feel like, oh man, you know. You know, ten and three is like I said. I don't think people are like jumping ship. I mean, some are because that's just the way the beast is. But I don't think that's, in fairness, I don't think that's the majority of the fan base. We always get suckered in into the minority. There's always a, a loud minority that's never going to be happy about anything. Okay, anything. The team could go twelve and zero, win by forty, and they're going to find something to complete to criticize—that's the minority. I think the majority understand, Hey, you know what? Ten wins is good. It's not bad. Yeah, I would have wanted to. I wish we—you know—a couple things here. We could have won the league and gone to New Year Six. But you no, know, it is what it is. I—I uh, I feel like that's the more the consensus.
0: Eric, you said you had a couple of uh, interesting numbers to throw at us about this year, didn't you? Yes, I do. All right. As
2: yes, if they would improve at certain categories, maybe we would not have lost the game this year. Uh, and this could be—I think—I think this
0: you're you're adding thing. you're adding fuel to the fire of the people you just you just <laughs> you just threw under the bus well, here, I mean, Eric. I don't
2: know. I mean, can, <laughs> I, I'm, actually, I'm. I'm. Not, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you these stats, and I want both of you to tell me why it happened. Okay. Um, if you have an ex- you know, because I think it's interesting because we get caught up in certain stats. Like you love bringing up, oh, they're number five in total offense. Yeah, that doesn't matter. I'm sorry. It's the most overrated stat. Everybody can get yards in football games if you have a competent offense. But um, but there's a certain categories and stats that I think do play a role in wins and losses that can make a difference in between winning by a score and losing by a score in specific games because there are certain patterns that develop during the season. So, for example, I will give you this. This year, UCF finished is 30th. And this is after the Gasparilla Bowl where they forced, what was it, Murph, four or five turnovers?
1: Turnovers. Um,
2: that improved them to 30th in the country in turnover margin. Last year, UCF was third in the country in turnover margins. And in 2017, they were second in the country in turnover margins. They didn't, The defense didn't force as many turnovers as they've done the last few years. And then offensively, uh, you know, I, I, actually, their turnover numbers aren't that drastically different. It just so happens that a majority of those turnovers happen in the losses, obviously. But yeah. – I think, to me, defensively, and maybe, hopefully, the Gasparilla Bowl is as is, is a positive sign, because uh, some of this might be randomness, is this team defensively, while they improved in a lot of categories, Murph didn't force a lot of turnovers, and as a result, didn't give their offense extra possessions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a fair point. Why, you want know, to you know why that happened? Go ahead. Luck. I mean, it's... Yeah. It's yeah it's
0: turnover. They, it's... They,
2: Oh, that's fair. No, that's
0: why I yeah. No, I don't disagree. Turnover, uh, turnover,
1: luck, fumble, luck, all that kind of stuff. Here's the thing about here's the thing about these sort of things that people need to understand. There doesn't need to be a reason for everything. Things happen because fate. Things happen because luck and chance. Like that's all this is. Like the pick six was off a deflected pass. Right. The fumble recovery that that Trayvon Moore, Morris Brash had, it was just a really bad decision by Isaiah Green. For some reason, he threw it backwards. For no reason, and it just so happened that Isaiah Green was was Johnny on the spot. That when Richie Grant punched the ball out from behind, who's there? Who's there before the ball goes out of bounds? Antoine Collier. Like it, it just like there were dropped interceptions this year. There's fumbles that could have been recovered that weren't that weren't recovered, and and all that seemed to go right. away. Just wasn't meant to be, right? Just wasn't meant. Right. To be. I mean, I'm why just, did they why did they force your turnovers? Uh, just because they could. Simply because they just didn't recover as many as they did last year. Like, why is that? Just luck, chance. Yeah.
2: Very good. Next category. All right. I mean, again, I, there's no right, right or wrong answer. I'm just providing data, and mm-hmm. you guys respond. Third down conversions offensively. UCF converted 40% offensively this year on third downs. That's tied for 59th in the country. Tied for 59th. To put that in perspective, yeah, that, that sounds like a nice number, 40%. That is the third worst percentage this decade that any UCF offense has had on third down conversions believe it or not, Uh, 2015, I know that's a big shocker here. 2015 was worse. They were at 29% shocking. And then 2016, Scott Frost was at 30% that year. Uh, The 2014 team was at 41% conversion. Every other year, UCF offensively was 45% or better on third downs. Think about that. that. And that usually, to put that in perspective, last year, UCF was fifth in the country on third-down conversions at 50%. They were tied for 15th in 2017 at 45%. I'll give you another year. 2013, the Fiesta Bowl year, pro-set offense, 14th in the country in third-down conversions, 48% that year. Third-down conversions, they didn't convert enough of them. Look at the three losses this year. They were a combined 18 of 52 on third-downs. That's 34% uh, in those three losses. I don't think that's an accident. Third downs, keep your offense on the field, keep drives going, field position. It all plays a role into that category, third downs, which I feel like we neglect every time we look at box scores. Yeah.
0: yeah, you know what the reason I think is for that? I wonder if you agree, Murph. Freshman quarterback, you know?
1: There's actually a, there's a number of different things, but go ahead and talk about it.
0: I'll, I'll say it's – and this is going to sound like I'm knocking Dylan Gabriel in. I'm not. I mean he, he played an amazing year in his first year as you know he took the reins to the starting quarterback job but I've said it many times throughout the year and fans get sick of me saying it but it's true you live by the true freshman quarterback and you die by the true freshman quarterback and when you're coming, you're you're playing division 1 football as an 18 19 year old kid and you were you know just a couple months away from you know, removed from your you know for, from high school um, had one spring under his belt that was it and he wasn't even really expected to you know be the starter at all um you know you're go- you're going to make mistakes that a player with more reps under their belt will not make um and that was especially true in those um in those three losses where he was faced with some third and mediums third and doable i think i like to say that um that he didn't do Um, due to, you know, whatever, not running, not making the proper throws, not handling pressure properly. Um, And it showed. And it showed in the fact that UCF lost those three games by a combined seven points. Um, And and like you said, Eric, failure to convert third downs is one of the most important stats that gets overlooked. And not all of them were, you know, were, were all in Dylan Gabriel's hands, obviously. The offensive line shares a little bit of, a little bit of blame here and there on missing some third and ones, third and shorts, where they, you know, where UCF runs the ball. But you know, at, at, we saw this. I think you pointed it out, Eric, from Mackenzie Milton's freshman year to his sophomore year. You know, all of a sudden the third down conversion percentage spiked, and I think we'll see that next year. But you got to take your lumps. You got to lose some situations like that, and uh, and I think in, in this case, that's certainly what did happen.
1: You know, it's interesting on third downs, I thought it would be like really a, a, a problem that is sort of um, secluded to only the losses, but it's not like, yeah, they were four for 16 on third down against Pitt. That's awful. Uh, eight for 20, eight for 19 at Tulsa. It's not great. Also three for 12 at FAU, five for 16 against ECU, uh, five for 13 against Houston. Those games they won comfortably. Um yeah, it could be about Dylan. It, I would, I would love to know what their average down and distance was. Like, if their average down and distance was third and five or third and three, like that's a huge difference. Yeah. And yeah, I put a lot of this actually on the offensive line, uh, depending upon where their average down and distance was, because we know that offensive line, I thought underachieved, and uh, for, for for long stretches of this of this season, not only keeping Dylan's pocket pocket clean, but opening up running lanes. I, I just didn't think sometimes the blocks got there, and if they're not there, then you're not going anywhere. Um, which sort of leads leads me back to this: it, it's it, it, these small, minute <sighs> differences make totally big changes. So if one guy, you know, is pulling, if if you have a pulling guard to the outside and he hits his block, then you've got a conversion. And if he misses it by a couple inches, they and the guy he's trying to block gets leverage and dives inside to make the tackle, then all of a sudden you don't. So it, it's I would say it's a raise within margin between between success and failure here, um, and I think probably if I had to guess, like it's probably mostly on offensive line and then maybe some play calling as well. But I would like to know what their average down and distance was on these kind of plays. Yeah, yeah. Which
2: all plays all all plays together on that. I think you both make great points on that, and it's probably similar answers here. To something we we addressed before on the show, red zone offense. They ended the year. Ninetieth, they're currently ninetieth in the country. Seventy-eight percent of the time, they score points in their red zone. uh, Red zone offense—pretty amazing for a team
0: that scores forty-five points a game. When you think about it,
2: fifty-eight percent, by the way, only touchdowns. All right, to put that in perspective, the fifty-eight percent is near the again one of the worst this decade. You know the you know the team, our favorite. Twenty fifteen was worse. Forty-three percent of the time, twenty fourteen team was at fifty-two percent. To compare that, last year, UCL was at 89%. They were at 14th in the country in red zone offense. They scored a touchdown 80% of the time. In 2017, believe it or not, they actually were at 85% overall, which was 64th, which is average. Okay, mm-hmm. But they scored 70% of the time was touchdowns. Uh, 2016, this is amazing. They were 12th in the country in red zone, 91%. They didn't get there often, but when they got there, they scored. Yeah, (laughs) Including 66%. Even the 2013 team, 86%, they finished 34th in the country in red zone. I looked at the three losses this year, 73% they scored in the red zone in the three losses. 73 below average. That's a category that definitely has to improve, and I think it's for the similar, uh, and maybe the issues are similar reasons where you guys just gave on third downs, right?
0: Yeah, same thing. I mean, it comes down to reps in those situations, and you know I felt like I saw a couple times like I think back to the Cincinnati game in particular when um when Dylan Gabriel just kind of looked lost in, in the red zone at times it was bizarre it was like you, you, it, it was like once you see i have gotten inside the 20 it was like that was their kryptonite which which seemed weird for a team that scores that's so prolific scoring points but again I mean anything that we're looking at here Brian and Eric like the coaches aren't stupid they know that and that's something that they yeah. plan on working on for next year and the good thing is you get Dylan Gabriel back for one more year to work on it, right?
1: I mean, certainly, if if we're gonna, <laughs> I agree that he, that Dylan, deserves some some uh, you know blame if you want to call it that for the for the red zone and effect But that also ties back into the third down conversions because you're dealing with short area offense, right, where, where everything is sort of is sort of compacted into like this this area where if you're in a red zone, you know it's within 20 yards. If it's yeah. a third down, maybe third and five. Especially if you're at the goal line, though, like it's all it's all kind of the same. Yes. You have the defense playing closer to the line of scrimmage. You have you have fewer options, um, and it's just it's it's more difficult to move the ball there because everything is in in tighter spaces. So small yeah, margins I, I of think, error. Yeah, and you're gonna have a, a a big summer and spring for Dylan to work on those situations and and just being um, a better decision maker. And having a um, just more, I guess, yeah, yeah, really, just a better decision maker in those in those tight tight windows, tight situations. That's all. Yeah.
2: And it probably forces you to go to on four, uh, fourth down more, maybe more than you should, or maybe more than you wanted to. This year, UCF went on went for it on fourth down 33 times. They converted 19, but they went for it 33 times. In comparison, last year, 20 times they went for it on fourth down. 20 times converted 12. Twenty seventeen, the only Scott Frost, gambler, twenty times he went for it on fourth down, converted ten.
0: I'm it's surprised it was that I'm surprised it was that few. Isn't it? Yeah.
2: Isn't it? I was surprised too when I looked that up. That's why I wanted to bring it up. And then in twenty sixteen in comparison, Frost went for it thirty-five times, converted wow. fifteen of those. So and it, it goes back to that third downs. You're not converting third downs. Maybe you feel and then even red zone. You're maybe you're gambling, you're going for it more. Interesting. You'll love this. stat. this is no surprise. In 2013, George O'Leary went for it on fourth down eight times the whole year.
0: How many did uh, they? How many did they make? Do you know? Three. 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 Okay. And they were all probably uh, fourth and ones.
2: <laughs> probably, yeah. but what do you? I mean, what do you think? I mean, I think that also correlates to that. Cause <coughs> some people, some fans, Murph, and maybe even you, at times, question going for it on fourth downs and leave and not going for field goals. I think in the pick game, if I'm, if my memory's correct, I don't remember. But I'm sure that's been questioned at times uh, during the season by fans.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the pit game was the one specifically where they, they were in field goal range. I believe if they kicked it, um, it would have put them up by uh, seven, I believe. And they did, and they decided to go for it. I'm going to look it up right now. Uh, and they decided to go for it, and it backfires. And, it, you know, it's, if it won, it was a bad play call. It was just a hand, inside handoff to Greg McRae, I believe, and he gets stuffed. It was really that
0: was the up. one where that was the one where Gabriel, if he kept it, he would have had a hole around the left side, and he and he right. and he ended it off. Yeah,
1: that was that was back at the time where we were wondering like, why isn't Gabriel running more? Yada yada yada. Right. right? Um, and then He's he running now. That, <laughs> right. He opened that up later on. Um. So yeah, it was it was it was uh, it was thirty one twenty eight early in the th- early in the fourth quarter. UCF was at the Pittsburgh. 15 would have been a 32 33 yard field goal and they they, they handed off to Greg on fourth and two and, and he went nowhere uh and it was a, and yeah it was the, the right side of the line where where Dylan was facing was wide open and he doesn't keep it there uh you know and then you know whatever whatever happens you know what happens next uh anyway yeah I think it's some bad play calling it's another situation where I'd like to know the average down and distance there like if, if it If he's going for it more on fourth and four than on fourth and one, then obviously your percentages are going to be naturally lower. Um, But, you know, and again, it's about run blocking. It's just, you know, Greg probably gets the first down there if he picks up a block in the middle. Yeah. Just saying. And yet, despite all that.
0: Oh, two more? Go ahead.
2: Two more. I got two more real quick. All right, real quick. Ranked 70th in the country in red zone defense, 83%. Last year, they were 11th in the country at 75%. They were 79th in 2017, but they were at 85%. 2016, credit to Chenaner and the company, second in the country in red zone defense in 2016. It had an amazing clip there. Uh, only 70% of the time they gave up points in red zone defense. 2013, in comparison, was 13th in the country. Red zone defense. Any rationale there? Is that just randomness there? What What do you – any,
0: any – A uh, little bit more randomness. Possibly a little bit more uh, You know, defense being out on the field. A little bit more, do you think, Brian?
1: Possibly more of like defense not really giving it their all when they're up by 30 in the second half, which happened a lot. <laughs> well, a lot well and, there you go.
2: That makes sense because especially in 2017, there was a lot of blowouts, and that would explain why they weren't as good red zone defense, 79. That's a great point. All right, last I, one. And I think nobody
1: – Go ahead. It, it,
2: no one has brought this up, so I'm fascinated what you both think about this, because I think we've kind of forgotten this, and maybe, maybe, you know. This year, special teams, kick returns, UCF finished 109th in kickoff returns, 35th in punt return, all right? Last year, they were 106th in kick returns, 58th in punt return. In 2017, UCF was 10th in the country in kickoff returns, 6th in the country in punt returns. We keep forgetting that, but that's one I mean, that was a huge factor in going undefeated in twenty seventeen. The special teams, Mike Hughes, punt return, and kick return. My question to you is yeah. why are we not better in those in that area considering the talent that you have on the roster? Why has that not clicked?
0: That's a great question, and I honestly have no idea. I mean, with with uh, you know, speed back there like Adrian Killens and Otis Anderson, you would think that UCF would be a kick returning machine, and the fact is, um, Mike Hughes took the took the kickoff returning with him. <laughs> it feels like, and uh, I, I don't know if it's a blocking situation. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know enough about special teams and 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 you know kickoff return strategy to be able to say one way or the other. Other than it's just that one baffles me. What do you think, Bry? I
1: mean, they only had seventeen returns as a team. So, it's not like this is a pretty small sample size. I will, and even then, you know, Otis was one of the better punt returners in the nation. And he really did pretty well at, at 13 yards per punt return. So, that's right. fine. Uh, the, you know, and, and and so you have 17 kick returns, 11, 11 of them from Adrian Killens. And yeah, he averages only 18 per kick return, 19 per kick return. I, I don't know why I'm getting – if I should really overreact to 11 kickoff returns as if that had some massive effect on the season. So is
2: part of the strategy, is that does that say that teams have just decided we're not kicking to them, we're eliminating that right away? Is that well, – where that's changed? That's fair. If
1: that seems care, fair to me.
2: That,
1: it's, easier to kick,
2: yeah.
1: it's easier to kick – it's easier to kick touchbacks now than ever. And, and, and you talk to any coach in the nation, they want to kick touchbacks. Like even – even I was talking to Nick Toth, UCF special teams coach, and I was talking to him about you know maybe doing shorter kickoffs because their coverage units weren't very good because they don't get the, they don't you know, they, you know they, so I was like why don't you do shorter kickoffs and maybe try to get the guy t- down before the 25 and that way you know you wouldn't have to give it, you know if you if you kick a, a touchback obviously brings us to 25 so why don't you force your your defense to sort of cover him within that 25 yard area and he's like no 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 whenever we kick it off we're going for touchbacks and i think that's that's every school's uh, sort of motto and and so that's why you just don't see a lot of kickoffs in general and then secondly like yeah there's probably just kicking away from guys there might be some squib kicks too plus that fair
0: um, catch rule too you know how you can fair catch the ball inside the 25 I, now I, and you can I,
2: and I, right i understand all that i'm just saying why can't we be like 70th 80th like i'm not saying be top 10 it's just Weird that we're near the bottom. For
0: but with that, but with that now, few returns, though, the difference between right. 100 and something and 80th could, could be like one, one, one run back, right?
2: Sure. sure. And, that, and that's probably a valid point that they've kind of, teams have taken away the UCF kicking game uh, for the most part in most games. All
0: right. That's well,
2: probably fair. I mean, we've seen Memphis obviously live off of that in comparison.
0: Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. God, what, what, a, what a horrible year. I mean, everything went wrong. <laughs> I no, I think it's a positive.
2: I, I think with, <laughs> no, here's the positive. My conclusion is these are all very like we've talked about. I think you guys have done a great job breaking each category down. These are all things I think we all agree can be very easily be better. Yeah, if, by, mm-hmm. by by variety of things, whether it be experience at quarterback, a better all offensive line play. I think that's what's exciting. When it's not that far off, they could easily top and go back to being undefeated. And you know, and if they don't, then you know, oh, else
1: be, oh be boy, to freak yes. out. He, uh, don't listen, say. Won't they easily go back to being? Yeah, yeah. People, oh, yeah.
0: There, there's a that's a that's a freighted adverb right there, Eric Lopez. Yeah, oh,
1: expected. Yeah, should expect. Well, uh-huh.
2: oh, uh, what's going to be harder? What's going to be harder? We'll get into this this time we get. No divisions, so it will be tougher yeah. conference games. There's no UConn, so that bye right. week's gone. So you're going to play a tougher schedule. You know. Yeah, it's the bye week's yeah. gone.
1: That hurts. We love that. <clears throat> uh, by the... By the way, the difference of being 109th in kickoff return average, and say like 80th in kickoff return average is about two yards. Two yards hey, per return. Two, two yards per return. Wow. Okay. And well. yet,
2: thank you, Mike Hughes. Let's give some uh, acknowledgement to Mike Hughes. Thank you, Mike Hughes, once again.
0: Yeah. Poor. So, so, <laughs> so the conclusion, the ending conclusion is, we miss Mike Hughes a lot. All right. Well.
2: Yes,
0: well, wow, God, what a horrible year, ten and three, right? Oh my God, just. Start all over. No, it's we end football season. I thought it was, huh?
1: It will in nine months, eight yeah. months. I know, I, months. I know.
0: Well, spring football's right around the corner, boys. Right. Yeah, anyway.
2: here we go.
0: Um, all right, we're gonna so we put the the wraps on UCF football for 2019, and oh, and, uh, and obviously the reminder once again the breaking news that happened uh, right. on Thursday with Otis Anderson coming back. So, uh, it, so that should be, um, well that's always I mean, good news I mean, look, to start the holiday season the post the post Christmas football rush with right
2: look I mean expectations are gonna be high the, the team's gonna be great we got a lot of talent back probably UCF and Cincinnati Murph right co-favorites in the league next year
1: I'm not, i not I haven't I don't know about what Cincinnati's bringing back but so I would take your word for it but I do know that just just thinking about like what UCF could bring back like Let's consider this. And I I I say this knowing that this could change very quickly because I believe it, it wouldn't blow it wouldn't like blow my mind if someone like Richie Grant or Aaron Robinson decided to leave early for the pros. However, if you consider that in this four two five defense, UCF could legitimately start a defensive backfield with a recovered Brandon Moore, Tay Gowan, who is outstanding, Richie Grant, Aaron Robinson, and Antoine Collier. This is legitimately one of the best secondaries the school's ever had, and probably the best secondary in the country. I mean, I mean one of that—that so. that is that thats a legit quintet.
0: Man, that would be fun to watch. Also, one way the, or the other
1: we should mention too—you know—we've been keeping up with this on the on Black and Gold Banner Red, our, our our transfer our transfer portal tracker. That uh, we need to add another one in there tonight. Oh, tight in tight end, tight Anthony Roberson has decided that he will be a grad transfer. He's entering the transfer portal and will look to transfer somewhere else as a grad transfer. Now, I am not here to talk about Anthony as a football player because we all know Anthony is much, 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 much more than that. Anthony is probably the best humanitarian on this team. And I I don't even know if that's arguable. I think him and Jordan Johnson are sort of neck and neck for it, but just as a person, it it, it would, it, it would be too bad to not have Anthony on this roster because really he's one of the best people I've ever met as a college football player. I want I want to pour one out. We'll
0: end the segment on this because um, we should all give tremendous uh, a tremendous shout out to um, to Aaron uh, and and Jordan as well. Just just based on this alone, um, they solicited donations of toys for uh, for kids this Christmas, and um, they gave out. Almost 400 kid toys. Almost 400 kids with the help of the mom squad, the UCF mom squad, um, in a toy drive this year. That those two guys put together with help from a lot of UCF fans out there, um, and uh, and a lot of and a lot of also their teammates as well. But these guys really did a lot of the legwork putting it together. And bravo to those two dudes for putting this together. They are they are gentlemen of the highest order and um it is going to be difficult i think uh next year knowing that you know not having them around just based on that because they're because they're good kids and they deserve every bit of success that can possibly come to them be it on the football field or off and um and ucf should be justifiably very proud of the two of them so thank you anthony thank you jordan for everything that you've done and thanks to all the seniors as well because they provided us with some amazing memories over the years. All right, take a quick break. We went along in this first segment. That's all right. Come back, talk some hoops, and then later on we will wrap the calendar year for you. Stick around. I'll be right back. Welcome back here on the Black and Gold at Podcast, our final show of the 2010s. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy with you. Yes, I'm playing that card every time coming back from a break. Um, we'll talk. Uh, let's talk basketball here because... Um, we are heading into conference play now. Um, both the UCF, uh, both the UCF men, um, well, the UCF men are done with their non-conference play. The UCF women have one more non-conference game. They are home for Central Michigan on Monday, um, December 30th. They, uh, they've won three in a row over Quinnipiac, St. Mary's, and Wright State. Um, those latter two coming in the UCF holiday tournament, by the way, for the women, um, I was at the St. Mary's game, which was one of the most bizarre games I've ever seen. Um, but UCF held St. Mary's without a single free throw attempt until eight seconds left in regulation. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the most. not a
2: foul with eight seconds left. With it, was,
0: it was. It ah. was a. It was a. It was a mistake. It was a mistake on that play. I think St. Mary's player was like driving to the hoop and. Somebody got a little greedy and slapped somebody on the wrist in the middle of a sh- in the middle of a layup they attempt and that could be have been an, I don't know the last time we had a game with no free, with a team attempting no free throws in regulation, but UCF almost had it. Uh, anyway, they beat St. Mary's, they beat Wright State the next day, and uh, they start uh, or they finish non conference play with Central Michigan on Monday before starting conference play with ECU at home on Sunday, January the. 5th. Fifth. As for the men, they almost finished conference a non-conference play out with a bang on uh, December twenty-first out at Norman uh, against the Oklahoma Sooners. And this is not, you know, your dad's Oklahoma, but they're pretty good. And yep. they UCF led this game, <coughs> excuse me, most of the way, uh, and then it, it got tight. Oklahoma came back as they would. And UCF had; a sh- they took a one-point lead. UCF had a shot to win, missed the three at the buzzer, 53 through to the total. Murph, save me, please! What happened in this game?
1: Well, it was a really tough watch. I will say, I watched this game from inside the UCF football team hotel uh, with uh, with one Trey Strucco, Uh from and from and by and with uh, UCF SID John Heisler, uh, and we watched as UCF would take a thirty-two to twenty lead. With about five minutes to go until halftime in uh, in Norman. And uh, then things got <laughs> really bogged down insofar as UCF would then go on to score 20 points over the next 26 minutes of game time. Oh, my God. And lose by, and lose by one. They shot, oh, less than 30% in the second half. Both teams were awful offensively, couldn't hit anything. UCF did have their last chance uh, shot. They came down off a rebound. With about six seconds left, Dazon Ingram brought the ball up court, was at the top of the arc, and then looked like he just got stuck, with, picked up his dribble and got stuck, and sort of panicked a little bit, dribbled it out to, to uh, or passed it out to uh, Dre Fuller for a three out of the corner. Now, Dre had just hit a three out of the corner, the, the I think, two possessions earlier. Um, and but, he got a good uh, look, was, too. It was contested. It was pretty well contested. And and it, it sailed over the over the basket to the other side, and that's how it ended. Uh Johnny Dawkins after the game spoke to him and uh he was just not not pleased with the selection there, really wanted his guys to go to the rim there, uh and, and go for go for the layup, go for two down by one. Uh and and, and you know what's amazing is I you know, there were or in this game, UCF had twenty five shots that were termed by the scorekeepers, twenty-five shots that were termed as layups, and they went ten for twenty-five. On those shots. Now, some of that could certainly be because Oklahoma's front line, their physical defense, they're making it tough for you at the rim. But some of those are just like you got to make them. You got to make them. You have that many chances inside close range. You got to make more than forty percent. So, certainly um, a game that, that UCF will regret. Um, you know, just just you know, having this winter break to kind of stew on it before a conference play. It's a game they could have won. It would have it would have really raised their their morale and confidence. I think higher than. What it, what it already is now, which is pretty high as is. Also, it um, raised the now, national like, profile,
0: I think, a little bit, too, right? I mean, you get a win over a Big 12 program.
1: A little bit. I mean, uh, Oklahoma's the top. I would say Quad they're one really game, top, baby. Quad yep. one. Yeah, and Oklahoma's the top 50. I would say they're a top 50 team, 5-0. Um, like, they're not, they're certainly, they're, above, they're, well, they're well above average. Uh, they're a tournament team. Um, so, you know, now we'll see what they can do against Temple here on New Year's Eve, opening up conference play, and it seems like UCF and Temple always open up conference play. I feel yeah. like there's there's a stat there, but yeah, it happens all the time.
0: And they don't. 2016,
2: seemed... last time that UCF and Temple have did not play within the first week of the new year in the good. conference play.
0: That's good scheduling by hey, Temple. You get to come down and enjoy some warm weather when it, at the time when it's getting really cold up in Philly.
2: <laughs> yeah. the good news is Murph actually gets to get to watch it in person. You've, Murph's missed the last couple of these because last example, they played the day after, right, Murph, When the, the yeah, day after the Fiesta Bowl.
1: They, um, played January, they played January 2nd last year. I was still in Arizona at that point.
2: Right, and then a couple years ago, you missed the game because, unfortunately, I apologize again for, do, uh, for hooking you up to this. You were covering the NFL wild card game between the Buffalo Bills and the Jacksonville Jaguars in that classic game. Uh, possibly
1: the worst NFL game I've ever seen in person.
0: I think yeah, you so owe as him as money for that still, Eric. Uh, I'm just sorry. based on just uh, based on
2: principle. <laughs> yeah, well, if it makes you feel better, Murph. he didn't miss much offense that day because that was the day that Temple scored like thirty some points, forty points against UCF there. So the point is, these teams play often early in the year. Um, let me ask you quick: is the biggest the thing? I have the biggest question moving forward is where is the offense going to come from in the final four minutes with this team? Uh, they don't have. I don't feel right now at this time. They have a guy that can create his own shot or create for others. And I think that's why, unfortunately, while I think the defense is getting better, I think the offense and down the stretch. it's gonna They're going to have to be perfect exec- execution to score. Otherwise, I think they're going to struggle. Am I, is, is that the big I, takeaway I, and concern moving I, forward here?
0: If I can jump in here, Brian, I, I disagree with that. I think that Dazon Ingram is the guy who does that. The problem is I think he's still a little bit tentative because – it still feels like he doesn't quite know everyone's tendencies in crunch time because everything kind of everything kind of breaks down. And you and when you're running the point, you need to know who likes to settle toward what as their basic thing that they do and do well. And I and I felt like he was a little bit tentative. I think the final play against Oklahoma was a good example of that. Where he should have taken the ball to the hole. He didn't. So my hope is that in this ten-day period between that game and then the start of conference play, that Dazon recognizes that he can take the ball to the hole. He's so big and so strong and so physical, he should be taking the ball to the hole and creating his own shot down the stretch because that can open things up for everybody else around him. Murph, I see the point to you since you're more experienced no, with it.
1: I think that's right, and I, I know I and I didn't go back and rewatch that last play, but. You know, I'd like to know exactly what Colin Smith's position was on that play. He really is the the, the key cog in this offense. He leads this team by a considerable margin in terms of posi- uh, in terms of possession percentage. Um, at at more than a, he's like 27%. So you really want the offense to flow through him, and and really it's been working so far. Where you 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 have the offense work through him. You have Dazon bring it up, and he can create, but you get it out to Colin. And Colin can obviously hit from 15 out. He wants to shoot threes, so he can hit that too. But you want him to get on the block. He can either create on the block because of his of his of his agility and his and his size, or he's also a really good passer. And they've they they have surrounded him with, with guys who are at least capable of hitting threes. I mean, certainly, uh, Darren Green uh, has been the best one. Uh, Cesar Jesu's Trey Fuller. I will say that uh, Matt Milan has gotten better since his early struggles. At, at, at hitting the threes, Frank Burtz as well. So that's what you want to do. And those last, and, but, but since you can't set up your offense with eight seconds left or five seconds left, you really want to see if you can get it into get it into Colin quickly, and either let him draw a foul or just do something, you know, five feet from the basket. If you can't do that, then Dazon at six six has got to use his body to sort of get in there. And I, I, I just remember what happened there is he got stuck, maybe trapped a little bit. At the top of the yard, picked up his dribble and was sort of left in no man's land, um, and then and then sort of panicked a little bit. He had no he had nowhere to go. So yeah. it, it's you know I will say though they, say they lose this game and that's that's frustrating because when you lose a team when you when you keep a team to 53 53 points you, you better win. And right. um, but they certainly played better than I thought they would for this stage of the year on the road in Norman. Uh, you know I, I know the, the closing stretches were, were were tough to watch, but still you are encouraged because of how they're playing these games. I mean, really, if you take the Penn game and the Oklahoma game, they are basically one point and maybe like a quarter of a foot two away. Two shots.
2: Two shots, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Two shots, you know, maybe, maybe winning. 11-1. Right. Um, well,
0: one yeah, shot and, one, shot and one, to... one size of a shoe, basically.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned you talked to Coach Dawkins that the, the Jesus foul? Late in that Oklahoma game where they reset the clock, uh, was that brought up or no?
1: No, no, it wasn't. It was really quick, but um, yeah, I forget. Was that a? Was that a? Um, uh, he wasn't trying to foul him intentionally though. Like that was just like a, a mistake, I believe that. Yeah, that's
2: like- what I was curious about. I wonder if he made the mistake that I did live watching it. That oh crap. They're going to reset the clock, and we got a foul, and he fouled. But in reality, with the new rule, they don't reset the clock to 30. They reset it to 15. And if you, But if you've played college basketball long enough, maybe you expand it. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I just It was weird because they fouled, but they didn't have enough fouls anyway to go to the free throw line, so they just reset the ball. But that could have given UCF a few extra seconds if right. they would have made the stop. That's why I was curious what happened there, if we know the details. But that's okay. Um, uh, I don't you know. I mean, it is what it is. Let me, let me ask you now. We moved to conference. Yeah. I'm curious where you believe you have UCF right now in the league, and I'm gonna—I did kind of fork quick tiers here, and I'm—and I did not place UCF. You're gonna put UCF where you think they belong, sure. and then you—if you, you want to agree or disagree with my tiers, that's cool too. Tier one is the teams that I think can win the conference tournament and are and, and, NCAA tournament caliber teams right now, and that's Memphis, Wichita State, and Houston. That's tier one. I agree with that. Uh, tier two, I have. Cincinnati, which has had a very Dysfunctional uh, Pre-conference, to say the least yeah. Some Questionable losses And questions overall But they're still talented enough where you They could be a team that could beat one of those top three teams that Could definitely be a contender for an NIT CBI, Alongside an SMU team that's very young And played well Temple, who UCF's going to open with It has a 42 net and UConn Those are my tier two teams Tier three, I have Tulsa Tulane and South Florida, teams that are capable of winning games but could also lose to like a lot of teams I don't think are postseason teams. Tulsa's net is like one twenty three, Tulane one forty two, USF one fifty two. And then tier four, I have East Carolina whose tier whose art is net ranking is at two eighteen. They're abominable. They have struggled big time this season. Those are my four tiers in the league going in. Where do you place UCF there?
1: Uh it's funny. Uh, I would place UCF maybe right next to Temple, and we'll see whoever wins that game basically gets the bit It gets the nod up. So right now, I'd say UCF is probably well. That makes them sixth or seventh in this conference.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we I have seven teams in the top two tiers. You have three in tier one, four in tier two.
1: Yeah, I put them in that second tier. They're certainly not in the first tier, and I agree with your first tier as well. Houston, I believe, is underachieved a little bit, certainly defensively, I think. But they're, but they're still they're still going to be – they can still be great. I mean, I, I, with Quentin Grimes, uh, they can still be outstanding. They just, won, and,
2: they just beat Washington to win that Hawaii tournament. I think their best basketball is still ahead of them.
1: Yes, and, and Wichita State's been a surprise. Well, it's maybe been a surprise nationally. It's not been a huge surprise if you, if you watch them at the tail end of last year and knew all the guys they had coming back. I mean, it's basically the entire team. Outside of Mar- Marcus McDuffie coming back to that team, maybe they're playing over their heads a little bit right now. I don't, I don't know if they're the best team in the AAC, which is where they are right now in the net. Um, and certainly, swept Memphis, the
2: Oklahoma schools swept the Oklahoma schools, beat Oklahoma, beat Oklahoma State, which is big Yeah,
1: but UCF plays them in Wichita in less than a month, and I know because I'll be there. Uh, and then. Oh. Memphis,
2: oh, oh, oh. Yes.
1: <laughs> And then, enjoy uh, that road trip <laughs> I, i'm looking forward to i really am i'm really looking forward to being in that building and, and especially with a good wichita state team in january I, 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 it's about being in the building jeffrey it's about being in the atmosphere no, it's bad it's about, it's about being, being inside somewhere <laughs> it's about being it's about sports jeffrey don't you know it's about sports uh-huh. and, and then obviously memphis we know what's going on with james wiseman there i, I think it's a good decision for him Ah, uh, but they're still loaded with a bunch of talented freshmen. Pressure Chihuahua is going to be a lottery pick anyway, so they're fine. I think though, well, I'll tell you this: I feel if I had bet, if I had to do, if I had to do a futures bet right now about who would have a more successful yep. season, Cincinnati or or UCF, I would have a really hard time with that because I'm really concerned with Cincinnati. I really think there is there is deep seated issues there, and then, actually they're not even deep seated; they're pretty on the surface issues there with John Brennan. And Jer- and Jaron Cumberland, like they, they obviously do not like each other. And when your coach and your best player don't like each other, things tend to go south. Uh, and they certainly have for this Bearcats team, which I think in the net they've passed UCF. But to see that UCF and Cincinnati are in the same region of the net, yeah, I know it's yep. early, but it's it's shocking. And it but it, Cincinnati it makes
2: 87, Cincinnati 87, UCF 96. If UCF beats Oklahoma, they're probably ahead of Cincinnati. It feels it like it feels sense.
0: like Cincinnati's played down to that rank, while UCF has played up to that rank.
1: I would oh, absolutely. Yes. I, I, to, for me to say that UCF right now, halfway through, the, well, not even halfway through the season, but start of conference play, to to arguably be in the sixth spot in this conference. I mean, remember, guys. I think when I said early or before the season, I thought I thought their ceiling. I thought their ceiling was around seven. I conference coaches
2: around, picked them near the bottom. They probably they right. had them as a borderline tier three, tier four going in.
1: I thought their ceiling was around seven. I thought their floor was around 11th. Uh, they wouldn't be the worst team, and certainly East Carolina has claimed uh, – uh staked the claim to that with flying colors. Uh, and let's pour one out. I know this is going to make everybody throw up, but God almighty, USF.
2: <laughs> oh, Merch. Merch. really breaks hey, my heart. Hey,
1: hindsight's
0: <laughs> twenty <hindsight's> twenty, man. <laughs> You're not the only one.
2: I'm stunned, Murph, that and I know he was a great player, but that he has made that big of a difference to the point where, I mean, I was debating whether they would be Tier 3 or 4. I put them at Tier 3 because they played Florida State very well in Sunrise and they're well coached with Gregory, but I'm surprised how that – I mean, I know he was a great player, but to make that big of a difference is remarkable.
1: Well, I think, too, it's just – I mean, Brian Gregory actually said this as this becomes a USF podcast really quickly. Brian Brian Gregory said this uh, early on in the year that their whole offense was based around him. And this is not a guy who's only an offensive player. I mean, he is on both sides of the floor. He's a double-doubles machine. Well, uh, and just when you lose that kind of impact, it's, it's, it's brutal. And then also, beyond that, they lose his backup to injury uh, or, or, no, or, or transfer or suspension or something. They, they're way short on the interior. And it's just, it's. I mean, there's a team that lost to IUPUI, and it's just, it's been brutal. And I don't know if it's, it's going to get really bad in conference. But back to UCF. So now that with USF being as bad as they are, UCF ceiling moves up. They're probably, they're probably the sixth best team in this conference, and that's, that's even debating that maybe they're not. They're even. They're, they might be better than Cincinnati when, when all is said and done. So, can you imagine this team possibly getting a like? I know it's, it's December, but. Can you imagine this team, if they got like a five seed in the conference tournament, that'd be nuts. That would tell me more about like, should I be worried about the American? Should I I be freaking out that the American's no good anymore, that this team is fifth? Like, no, the the conference is fine. Like we have basically the, the, the teams we thought would be great may not be as good, but like you have Wichita State taking Cincinnati's place and Houston being a little worse, but Memphis being much better. So we basically just shuffled the deck. The conference is still close to being as good as they were last year. And yet UCF could be like fifth or sixth best right now, which is, I mean, it well, uh, had to had yeah, to them.
2: It, it might tell you we have a pretty darn good head coach, by the way. It might just tell oh. you we might have a pretty darn good coach. I mean, I thought they were prepared in that Oklahoma game. They, You know, and I, you know, you mentioned their struggles the la- in the, the latter part of that game. They kind of lost that game at the end of the half. They got cold. But that team was ready for that game, and they're going to be ready for every game. They're going to be prepared uh, with Coach Dawkins. I think that speaks volumes to the job he's done there with this team to this point. The question now is they're going to open with temple temple. You mentioned them. They're on their first year head coach, by the way, the Duffy, uh, retired or they were an NCAA team last year. They've already, this will be their second trip to Orlando. They played in the, uh, at the advocate. They lost to a uh, Maryland beat Texas A&M beat Davidson in that field. They've also beaten USC in Los Angeles. I don't know what that means this year, but they beat USC. Nonetheless, uh, mm-hmm. Lost to Missouri. Lost to Miami by a point. What what are we what are we what are we looking forward to here, Murphy, here on New Year's Eve here? I mean, that's a big game to start conference play against Temple here
1: in opener. It's, no, it's a really big game, and and with with Temple, I mean, with Quentin Rose and A. Pierre Louis, I mean, you've got and sort of, I mean, Quentin Rose can do everything. He's an, he's just outstanding. He's, he's your typical like do it all like uh like forward, guard forward hybrid. Uh, Nate Pierre-Louis, six foot four, uh, you know, runs the offense well, and and those two guys back from last year, who I thought were really good then, um, so no, I, I mean it's it's I would said before the season, I maybe mean, maybe this has changed a little bit, but I thought UCF's conference schedule was pretty front loaded, uh, and and certainly at least in this opening stretch here, where they have Temple, then they go to Houston on the third of January, stay in Texas to play SMU. Who's the top hundred team in Ken Palm? Then come home and face Cincinnati. Who knows what you'll get? Uh, so these first four games, two, uh, two at home, two on the road. Uh, they really are none of them are easy. I mean, all of them are. Uh, if you look at the metrics, all of them are teams that currently rank ahead of UCF. I mean, UCF is UCF is not favored to win any of them on Ken Palm. Uh, and then they play Tulane in South Florida. So maybe they get some wins there, but. This first uh, couple of weeks of January, well, the the New Year's Eve, and then the first two weeks of January, we're we're gonna find out a lot about this team, and, and then come back on January twelfth after the Cincinnati game here in uh, at or in Orlando, and see where this team is. I think if this team can go two and two, uh, that would be that oh. would be what you that would be what you want. That would be what you want. You You're want playing to- with
0: house money after if you go two and two there, man. Ugh.
1: You want to win. You want to. You you gotta. You know. You, I would say if you can't expect to beat Houston in that gym, especially after last year, um, you know, it, it, it's a it's a it's a tough road trip going from Temple on New Year's Eve to Houston on January third. It's a pretty quick turnaround. So throwing that one out the window, if you can win two out of three of Temple at home, SMU on the road, Cincinnati at home, uh, that would that would be what you want. I think that's what you want, and I think three and one would be. Incredible, yeah.
0: So, well, nonetheless, it's going to be. Um, I mean, when you start conference play here, it's it's grind time, and we're going to find out real quick, like you guys said, in that four game stretch, what kind of a team is this really going to be. So, and the chemistry is going to have to come together now, huh?
1: Imagine, like, I'm way more excited. I think people should should be way more excited about this team. Absolutely. I agree. We back in early November, like we, I know we didn't know what we had in early November, but we thought it was going to be like a really rough. Like up and down, growing pains type of season. Like this team, okay, they haven't beaten like any marquee programs, but they've played really well, really cohesively for long stretches. And like even their losses have looked encouraging. Like this team is a lot better this year than I already. There's room for
2: improvement, and there's room for improvement. I mean, What if Matt, if, if Matt Milan gets going from the three point line? That's an extra shooter they haven't had yet. Uh, you mentioned he's getting better. I like the fact you're seeing Darren Green and Dre Fuller. I mean, I'm excited about Fuller's potential as a two way player. Right. But those are just freshmen. That's part of the future of this program. Right. I think Colin has had a heck of a year all conference here,
1: Murph. And I think that's the point of like the way they're playing now, like it's great for this season, but this season we knew was kind of a growing season anyway. So they might they might finish fifth or sixth in the conference. They may make the NIT, who cares? But it's about the future. Like, if this team is playing this well now, like, wow, expectations for 2020, right. 2021. I mentioned,
2: I mentioned in a, in a radio interview, and, and, and I'm not saying that we're, we're Wichita State, but I think the you want to kind of be what Wichita State has done here with Coach Marshall last year. Last year was a completely rebuilt job at Wichita yeah. State for Greg Marshall, where they lost a ton of guys, Shamit and those guys from those NCAA tournament teams. So last year was kind of a rebuild. Remember, they got off to a terrible start. Everybody's like, oh boy, you know, but they got, they got a, they they turned it around in the second half of the year, and by the end of the year, you right.
1: won the tournament. That was in the conference tournament,
2: and you felt good about them going into this year, and I think that's carried, you know, from that standpoint, that that's built the confidence, he's added pieces to that team, so now they're in the contention, I think they're gonna they're headed back to the NCAA tournament. I think for UCF, it's, I think it's the same goal, and I think this is how this works in college basketball. You have to take a step back. After the team that you just had with, you know, BJ and Aubrey and Taco and Chad Brown and the whole gang, Mm -hmm. you lost everybody. So you're basically rebuilding, and the goal is to kind of build it up with some of the young guys this year, get their experience, hopefully win more games than not, and then you build towards next year when you're at the end of this year. I hope in March when we're having this conversation that we're feeling really good about the next season and beyond. That's the goal, in my opinion.
1: I agree. They will not have you. They will not have you at a lock whom I know everyone was kind of looking forward to uh, a 610 Juco transfer who at the time when he left Juco was was uh, I think arguably the best Juco player in the nation played at TCU. Uh, He would be eligible uh, starting last week because once the semester ended he was going to be eligible and it would be fun to see him and Colin on the floor at the same time. Well, he flunked out. Uh, academically ineligible, and now we'll see where he goes next, but he will not play for UCF.
0: Word was that he's actually already in the transfer portal. So He
1: is in the transfer portal. Yeah. Best of luck to him. <laughs> what was your best memory of the U Auto Lock UCF uh, um, era? <laughs> I talked to him immediately. There was There was that. You can't
0: put me on the spot like that <laughs> so quickly. Um, anyway, like we said, coming up on New Year's Eve, Tuesday, 2 p.m., UCF against Temple. That game's going to be on I'm ESPNU.
2: Going Murph now. I'm going. Murph's got me psyched. I'm, I'm hopping on. Jeffrey, if you can actually get rid of your cough, you're more than welcome to join us as well.
0: I would love to get rid of this flu bug as quickly as humanly possible. Hopefully I can do so very quickly. But. All right. Quick break. When we return, we'll wrap the show up, talk about what's coming up in the next week, and uh, some thoughts on the decade of UCF sports in the year to this point. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy. Let's wrap this uh, segment up, our final show of 2019, our final show of the 2010s with just a look back at um, not just the year, but uh, let's put it this way. We're going to say where each of us was at this time uh, 10 years ago and how far far we believe UCF has come uh, since then. I will start. Uh, in the fall of twenty of two thousand nine, I was working in house at UCF Athletics, still in the video department, and it was the year that UCF and Brett Hodge as a quarterback made a run to the St. Pete Bowl and got clobbered by Rutgers. And we were just oh so happy that UCF got picked to play in a bowl game within the state of Florida, out of conference USA, and we were like we were ecstatic for that. Like this is great. Like we we don't have to go that far to see UCF play a good opponent. Rutgers was in the Big East at the time, um, and uh, and and it was like, man, if we could, if we could if this could be like our our every our like default bowl game, if we go to bowl game every year, this should be our default bowl game. Well, the uh, the decade ends with uh, UCF winning the Gasparilla Bowl, which is the uh, spiritual inheritor of the Saint Petersburg Bowl, um, and in the and in that span of time. Not just in football, but in everything else. Um, the, the growth of the program, to me, has been greater than any school in Division One overall. When you look at the overall body of, body of work by all uh, programs, best growth there has been. And what seems unusual about it to me is that there still seems like there's lots more growth to go. I think when Boise State got to that point, it felt like okay, this this might be about as high as Boise State gets, maybe a little bit higher. It still feels like it still feels like we're only about halfway there with UCF, and um, it's something that as an alum, I'm really proud of. It's something that I've been really proud to cover, you know, since we started this site in the fall of 2015 and started the podcast a little bit after that. Um, and uh, and so far, it has worked. Um, it's been remarkable to see, even especially in the past three years, what has happened. And uh, and then I'll cap with my favorite moment from this uh, past ten years of UCF sports. For me, um, I could have picked the volleyball championship this past year, winning on the home floor, but I'm going to pick taking my son to the uh, to the Peach Bowl. He was all of two years old at the time. He was about to turn three. Freezing our garbanzos off in Atlanta that weekend, and especially that morning, going to get breakfast, walking to the stadium. He was an absolute trooper. He fell asleep at my feet on the concourse during the middle of the game, woke up in time for us to see the uh, game-ending interception by Antoine Collier, which I sent, uh, which I posted on Twitter. And... Um, and we got to see the end of that undefeated season in that national championship, and that was, um, on the I'll, I'll that I hope that that's one of my last memories when I go to my grave, is that moment because not just because I was there to witness it in person, but that I got to share it with him, and that we all got to share it with people who we know, who you know our families, our friends, and it validated everything that we always believe UCF could be. So um, that's my moment of the decade Eric Lopez your moment of the decade You gotta follow that yeah <laughs> uh, yeah you do go <laughs> alright
2: so a decade ago I was back I was at that same Pete people against Rutgers
0: there's by the way there's uh, a good picture of the two of us on the field that very day by the way I have so
2: there it is there's even a better one with us in uh, Miss Florida Kelly Todd and Megan Clemente which is my favorite part of the game um <laughs> And I also was finishing off covering the Magic beating the Boston Celtics in the, on Christmas Day in a preview that would turn out to be a preview of the conference finals to a team's contending NBA title contenders back in the day when the Magic were title contenders. So that's how Picks much things it didn't have happen. changed. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, so that's how much things have changed. As far as my favorite moments, I'll give you a couple. Selfishly, from my standpoint, my own personal career, uh, calling the Samantha McCloskey Walk-off home run, 2015 American Conference Championship. UCF beats Tulsa, one 0 to win the title. Euphoria in the field. You were there, Jeffrey, covering that. It was a. Uh, that's definitely one of my favorite moments from a broadcast standpoint. My favorite overall UCF moment, alongside that, Murph, you and I were on the field. When we were watching South Florida and uh, Quentin Flowers hit a deep pass for a touchdown and a two-point conversion to tie the game up at 42, and before we can even say, wow, I can't believe we blew that, next thing we know, Mike Hughes taking the kick return for a touchdown, and the stadium absolutely exploded, Murph. Uh, I will never have a – I've never seen that stadium that loud, that – Noise uh, than the, just the vibration of that stadium. I don't know how else. Maybe you get you, you're better with words than I am to describe that feeling being on the field when Mike Hughes returned that kickoff return to beat South Florida. Is something I'll never forget. That's to me the moment of the decade that I uh, person there, Murph.
1: Yeah, I will. Uh, I will. I will second that. I, that was definitely one of my moments of the year. I, so, so my look back to ten years ago is a little, little different. Uh, so ten years ago. I was it, probably at this point on on December 26th. I was probably at a bar in Long, Long Beach, California, uh, having a it lot. It sounds of fun. like the opening <laughs> to an Eagles song. <laughs> yes, thank you. I was not on a corner in Winslow, Arizona. Oh, okay. Uh, but uh but I cuz I had graduated from UCF that uh, that spring or no, that summer. So I left in June of 09 and went back home to California. And then I Really would would embark upon what uh, Brandon Helwig, uh, UCF Sports Brandon Helwig would call a seven-year sabbatical from UCF <laughs> <laughs> um, because because really I was I was out of UCF athletics at that point. I mean, I still followed it as a fan. I was at the 2000 I was at the Fiesta Bowl in 2013. I drove out with some friends of mine who were UCF alums. They were living in Los Angeles as well. We drove out together. It was great uh, to watch that. But really, I didn't follow it that closely. I was more. I, my job was I was I was a fantasy sports analyst like that. You know, I was working for fantasy football and fantasy baseball sites. So, so I really it was much different for me. And then I I came back here in Orlando in December of 2016, just about three years ago now. And, and in those three years, I, I have been I have been blessed, as they would say. Uh, still have not seen UCF lose a home game uh, here in Spectrum. Certainly, the 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 war on I four Black Friday game of the year in 2017, just the swing of emotions back and forth, uh, just just nuts. It really is. I know you say I'm better with words. It was hard to describe what you were seeing because you thought you said was going to lose that game because Quinton Flowers was just the best player on the field, and then a little dump off to Otis Anderson goes for a touchdown, but no, he comes right back, and here's my cues. Why are they kicking to him? I don't know. Uh, it was just amazing. So besides that, it was just, it was just, it was amazing. Besides that, I would say the loudest I've ever heard the UCF stadium was the Cincinnati game day game. I've never heard that stadium, oh, uh, okay. uh, you know, no. be louder. Certainly, be- you had to be there before the stadium got reinforced. So before the stadium got reinforced, the press box looked like it was going to topple over at any moment. But since then, I would say that's that's the most movement I have felt in the press box. Uh, since I've been back, is that Cincinnati game day game and the first two plays for Cincinnati, they weren't even plays. They were full starts. Uh, but, guys, guys, the best moment of, of my decade covering UCF athletics, and this is going to rub people the wrong way, because it's a loss. Duke! UCF! The best game I have seen. It's amazing. I know they lost. I don't care. I'm trying to, like, I was trying to like hold on to any shred of journalistic decorum because in that moment you have to like write your stuff and and turn it in quickly. I was shaking. I was absolutely shaking with nerves and excitement and shock. I didn't know what had just happened. I couldn't believe that we were even at that stage to, to go that close to beating the best team in the country. That for me is probably, even though I was at the Peach Bowl, I was on the field behind Antoine Collier as my family would then shoot TV uh, photographs of the TV of Collier's interception, and there I am in the background. So I was there for that. I was obviously there for the Fiesta Bowl last year, uh, all the other games, and UCF baseball win the conference uh, regular season, and and whatnot. The 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 game for me in the last decade is UCF Duke men's basketball in a loss. It was that good.
0: I can't I can't even bring myself to watch that game again. I just can't. It's it hurts. Un- so, it hurts so bad.
1: So good.
0: Ugh, it hurts pretty so bad. Pretty
2: good three year run for you there, Murph. The That's a pretty good three year run there. A I know. Undefeated season. Mm-hmm. Little college game day action with Fowler and Herb Street. Little uh, Fiesta Bowl. Get to see a future Heisman Trophy winner get knocked out, and you know, become a good quarterback. And then uh, maybe one of. The, and then UCF basketball history: their first NCAA tournament win that same weekend against VCU, and then the Duke game, which, by the way. The most watched UCF sporting event ever in this country of all time. 12.88. yeah. Well, more than more
0: than any football game. Yep. Which so, is uh,
2: that was significant. And I, I actually, that's a great. I mean, that game, that game, I'll never forget that game. I've never been so stressed out and nervous oh. in that game. In the last four minutes it was just breathtaking stuff, and and really a credit to both sides, coaching staffs, players. It's a classic game. It's it's an amazing game. It's one of those games where you lost the game, but you really weren't. You didn't leave a loser. And I, it's just it's just like Rocky. It's like Rocky, man. It was just a phenomenal
1: yeah. sport. Either. Also, because 40. baseball's my bag, I'll say the best baseball player I saw in the last three years since I've been since I've been back. And I know it's it's kind of biased because I think it's fun to say it, but it's kind of true. It's Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray was was uh, had owned UCF for an entire weekend. Of which I had never seen in the three years I've been back. Howard Murray is the best baseball player I've ever seen uh, in the last three years and, and he is not playing baseball.
2: Yeah. <laughs> he played a quarterback in the NFL. Um which by the way, quirky stat here. The uh, useless stat of the week on this show here. Uh, we'll wrap UCF with this, has, by the way. <laughs> UCF has faced four Heisman trophy winners. Only two of wow. them actually played it only two of them in football. Tim Tebow in 2006 when UCF went to Florida, and now I'm Joe there. Burrow, Joe Burrow at LSU, who you saw Murph at the Fiesta Bowl, he wins the Heisman this year. The other two, Jameis Winston, 2014 Florida as a, a relief pitcher slash right fielder. FSU played at UCF midweek uh, in 2014 here, and then before mentioned Kyler Murray, who would go on to win the Heisman Trophy uh, with Oklahoma and lead him to the playoffs after that baseball season you speak
1: of. So that's was, how about that. And and was, I believe, the 11th overall pick or the 9th overall pick in the MLB draft. Yeah. Right. And
2: I'll never forget, what was great? Remember, you and I were there. Greg Lovelady's comment was just said it all, right? Like, it was, what was it? I'm paraphrasing where he was like the best player on
1: the field and he's only a part-time player or something like that? He says, it doesn't make sense. The best player on the field plays baseball six months out of the year.
0: Like, yeah, you're right. That pretty much sums it up. Thanks, Greg. Well, that's going to do it uh, for us. Listen, we um, we hope you had a wonderful um, holiday season. We hope your new year is joyous. Um, enjoy the play. I, I know everyone's going to be like, yeah, screw the playoff. I'm watching the playoff. You're watching the playoff. Stop lying. You're going to watch the playoff. It's, it's all fine. Just enjoy the good football. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. And gentlemen, it has been a blast working with you this past year. It's also been a blast working... Um, alongside those who are not here with us, uh, namely Derek Warden, who's been our uh, staff photographer, who's just been uh, ha- has been amazing from the very beginning and is getting better. It, it, his photo galleries just get better day by day by day. Every time he shoots something, it's just amazing. Just check it out. Um, thanks to all the folks who onboarded with us new on the move to SB Nation Luke Sarris, of course. Thanks to him, um, Jeremy Brenner, who's been fantastic. Jeremy, sorry about the Rockets yesterday; that was rough. Yeah,
2: he was expecting it.
0: From. I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I didn't see him. Well, I didn't see him pressing the panic button all that much. But <clears throat> thanks also to um, Anthony Linehan, our newest staff member. Thanks also to um, uh, to Chris Carter uh, for all of his support as well. Um it's just been um it, it's it's been great. It's been a blast having everybody here.
2: We got an exciting project content coming up yes, here in the coming days.
0: We do. We're going to be reflecting back on the decade with our teams of the decade in uh, as many sports as we can muster here for um for UCF Athletics. Well, Eric, I know you've been working hard on that. Um and we've been consulting with as many people as is practical. And uh, and, and we're going to have that roll that out for you throughout the week leading into New Year's and uh, getting ready for as we switch into um, basketball mode um, as well. So be on the lookout um, for that. So, Eric, Brian, it's been a blast. Have a happy new year and I'll see you in 2020. Thanks, Jeffrey. All right. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, happy holidays, happy new year, and we'll see you in the year
1: 2020.